Thank you for listening to the South Metro Ministries podcast. We hope it's been a blessing to you wherever you are. For more information about South Metro Ministries, please visit smmcog.com. I want to preach to you on a thought that the Holy Spirit dropped into my heart about two and a half weeks ago. It was a message that I prepared to preach to my people on last Sunday and what I felt God would have me to speak to you this morning. And the title of this message is called this. When life gets messy. When life gets messy. Is there anybody in the room that you would admit that at some point in your life things got a little messy? Where are you at? Lift your hands all across this place. So I'm asking you to be all ears and an open heart and mind to receive what God has in store for you today. Would you stretch your hands in my direction? And I want you to do two things. One, I'm asking you to pray for me. I'm asking you to pray for me in this moment that God would give me a second service anointing and strength to bring forth the word that he's laid on my heart. But I would also appreciate if you would pray for our church. Right now, Pastor Eli, our outreach pastor, is standing behind the pulpit preaching And I believe that the same God, the same power of the Holy Spirit that we feel in this room is being manifested in Germantown, Maryland, and lives are being changed even now. So would you pray for me in my church as I pray for you? Father, it is not my intent to be laborious. It's not my intent to drag out this service, nor is it my intent to manipulate the people by pulling on their heartstrings or emotions. But I am asking... God, that you would move and continue to move mightily. It is not by might nor by power, but it is by your spirit. So we say, Holy Spirit, move in this service. There are people that have walked into this room that are, uh, they are feeling down and out and beaten up and feel like throwing in the towel. And I pray today that they would leave encouraged by the grace and the mercy of God that they would hear this word and it would penetrate to their heart and they would leave entirely different than when they, when they came. I pray that I would decrease so that you might increase. I want to get out of the way entirely and let you, oh God, do what only you can. God, you tell us when we lift you up that you'll draw all people unto you. So let us lift you up through the word. Let us lift you up in worship and let you, Holy Spirit, do what you need to do. So God, we commit it to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen and amen would you turn to two or three people and tell them when life gets messy when life gets messy and then you may be seated in his presence when life gets messy when life gets messy you know i've been incredibly excited and equally as convicted to preach this word to you this morning i don't have the time to define where every single one of you might admit to where you have experienced certain situations in this previous year. As we close out yet another year, which in my life, I don't know if it's the same for yours, but in my life, these years seem to go by much faster and faster. But as we end another year and start a a new year, it's only natural for our human mind and heart to reflect on the past. And as I scan this congregation this morning, I'm pretty confident that for most of you, you fall on one ends of the spectrum. In 2013, your life was either a success or your life was a mess. Now, it's never my intent to omit any one person or a group of people from a message. Pastor would admit that it is a challenge to stand before people Sunday after Sunday, week after week, and prepare a word that would speak to everybody on every 
level of living. But today I want to talk to a group of people that would admit and be honest with me that in 2013 things got just a little bit messy. Where are you at, those people? In, 2000, in this past year things got a little dirty here and there. See, some of you, you may have been reflecting on this past year and you live with so much regret in your life. You live with so much disappointment. Maybe it's disappointment caused by your own doings or disappointment because of the trust and confidence that you placed in other people who let you down. But there's another one. There's a group of people in here that this past year has been made up of nothing but letdowns and heartache and headaches and disapproval and rejection and pain and, and suffering. And for some of you, this past year has been filled with mistakes and slip-ups and letdowns and the list goes on and on and on. But at least we can admit that at some point things got really, really messy. See, when I look at the mess in our lives, because I'm standing here as a testimony that life gets messy. Things don't always seem to go according to the way that you think they should. Things don't always tend to go according to your game plan and the way that you have it laid out. See, because we're, we're ultimately we're not God. And I'm coming to realize early on in my life that far too often we misinterpret the mess in our lives because we don't even understand the meaning. And that's good. You should write that down for future reference. See, far too often we misinterpret the mess in our lives because we don't understand the meaning. I, I'm learning that some of the most meaningful moments in my lives are produced from the messiest moments. I would love if God would teach me more about myself and more about him when things are going like I want them to go. But he tends to teach me in the messy moments when I've got to lift up my hands and cry out and say, God, what can I do? There's nothing else that I can do but only trust and hope in you. See, when I was preparing this message, God brought me back some 10 years ago to the greatest worship service that I had ever sat apart in. And it wasn't in a church setting. No, it was in a hospital room. See, some 10 years ago, my nephew Luke was diagnosed with a brain tumor and we were standing in a hospital room at St. Jude Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee when the doctors walk in and told us that he had a brain tumor and if they operated, he would be paralyzed from the left side of his face all the way down to his feet. And it was in that moment, in the mess of life, when we didn't understand why were, things were turning out the way that they were turning out, that God showed up right in the middle of the mess. And in the mess, God produced for us a, a meaning. It's in the most messiest moments that God will often teach us more about the mess. Uh, if you've got your Bible, I want you to flip with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're, we're going to go through some progression here, so keep your Bible open. Flip to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verse number 7. But as you're thumbing there, you might want to you know, bookmark Psalm 103, chapters 13 and 14. If you have your Bible, you can read along. If not, you can pay attention to the screen. The reference is provided there for you. In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7, the Bible says this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the what? Dust. From the dirt of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. A living being. Now look at me in Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14. It, it's in this Psalm that the Psalmist David references Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7. And here he begins to talk about the messy moments in life when we feel weak and we feel vulnerable and we feel miserable. I don't know if there was a better author to write about those emotions than the Psalmist David. 
he had experienced both the peaks and the valleys. And so he says here in the book of Psalm chapter 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. He remembers that we are dust. Can I tell you a funny story, a joke? And it's okay to laugh. It's, it's a good joke. You'll like it. You'll tell your family members next time you get together. The story of this Lutheran pastor and he's at the close of his message and he stands before his congregation and he prays the most eloquent prayers that any ear has ever heard. The prayer went something like this. Our most heavenly and gracious Father, we come before thee today remembering what thy word teaches us. That we are all but dust. Immediately, a four-year-old little girl sitting on the front row looks at her mommy and says, Hey, mommy, what's but dust? Now, now you can interpret that any way that you want to, all right? But here's the point that I'm trying to make. It never surprises me. It never ceases to amaze me when life gets a little dirty. It never seems to surprise me when life gets a little messy because that's where you and I came from. We came from the dirt of the ground, the dust of the earth, and God works best when things get messy. Nobody, nobody ever likes to talk about the mess of life, though. No, 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 church people and not, not you all. You would never act this way or behave this way, but, you know, other church people around the world, they like to come to church and walk in the door all dressed up, dressed to the nines with their hair fixed and the makeup done and the family in line and wear the mask as if everything is together. Nobody would admit walking in the door, yeah, my life is a wreck. All hell is broken loose. There is a mess in my family, in my marriage, in my finances. No, 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 no. We don't like to talk about the mess. We like to mask it up and make it seem like everything is in order. But I, I was listening to one of my favorite preachers online, and he shared Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 4. And as he began to share this passage of Scripture, man, it just spoke so directly to my heart. And the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 14. No cattle... No crops. A good harvest requires a strong ox for the plow. No cattle, no crops. A good harvest requires a what? A strong ox for the plow. Now, what does that scripture imply? Well, I take it this way. You want a good harvest? Then you're going to need some cattle. And wherever there are cattle, there will always be manure to shovel from the behinds of the cattle. Anybody with me? You want a good harvest? Then you're going to need some strong ox. People like to talk about the good harvest, but they never like to talk about the oxen dung that they've got to clean up because of the mess that was left from the harvest that was produced. Anybody with me? We want to reap the benefits, but we never want to walk through the trial. We want to reap the reward. We want to reap the blessing, but we never like to walk through the mess of this thing called life. But let me tell you, listen to the words coming out of my mouth. You are not perfect, and you never will be. I am not perfect, and I never will be. If you and I were perfect, we never would have had need for a savior. And yet, you, you know what God does? Let, let's go to the basics of the Bible. John three sixteen. God looked down and he said, you know what? You keep messing this thing up. 
You know what? You keep messing this thing up. It keeps getting dirty. So there's only one thing I know to do, and that's to wash you clean by the blood of the Lamb. So he looked at his son, Jesus, and he said, Jesus, it is time. And Jesus came down, and he took on the form of humanity, and he hung on a cross, and he was crucified on a cross. Why? So that he could clean up your mess. That's got, I'm, I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're shouting, but that's okay. See, everybody wants the strength of the oxen, but nobody ever wants to shovel the stuff that they leave behind. Uh, let, let's just be real, okay? No mess, no marriage. No mess, no relationships. No mess, no ministry. You aren't perfect, and there will be moments when life gets messy, but it's in the messy moments that you don't throw in the towel and say, God, I give up. It's in the messy moments when you throw up your hands and you say, God, I surrender. There's a difference between giving up and surrendering to God. And God says to you today, I know how you are. I formed you from the dirt of the ground. Why are you surprised when life gets a little bit tricky? Stop trying to figure it all out and just trust in me. Just, just trust in me in every area of your life. In the past, in the present, and in the future, there will be moments when life gets messy. But there's good news. And this is the very first point. There is meaning in your mess. There's a purpose for your pain. There's a meaning for your mess. You know what? I, I, I'm, I'm learning so much. Wow. You know what I'm learning more and more? Is that God allows us to walk through those messy moments so that we actually surrender to him and say, okay, God, I can't do it anymore. And sometimes, although we don't like rock bottom, although we don't like to be cleaning up the mess and we don't like to be covered from head to toe in oxen manure, God says, it's here. It's here that you need to be so that you can learn to depend on me. There is meaning in your mess. Uh, let me share with you another Bible story as we kind of transition to another point. John chapter 8. Go with me there for a moment. I love this story. In John chapter 8, John records a story that is so incredibly controversial that some people have doubted if it should even be in the Bible. They say that the earliest manuscripts didn't really include the story, yet... Many, including myself, wonder if it's the manuscripts that make this story controversial or the actual content of the story because it's so scandalous in nature in the first place. And you've read this story multiple times, but I believe it's appropriate for the direction that we're going. In John chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible starts by saying, but Jesus. See, your butt dust, he's but Jesus. There's a big difference there. Can I get an amen? I don't know if you've ever had a moment where it had to be but Jesus. Anybody ever have that moment? I don't know what to do, but Jesus. All hell is breaking loose, but Jesus, right? My kids are out of control, but Jesus. And I'm thankful for but Jesus. Can I get a witness? And here John says, but Jesus. He went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach him. Verse number three. Then the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. I'm going to interject some thoughts as we read the scripture together. But where are the men? Why did they bring the woman who committed the adultery? Because the last time I checked, it takes two to tango, right? 
Oh, where are the men? But anyway, they, they bring this woman. And the Bible says that they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, Jesus, what is it that you say? They were using this, the Bible says, as a question, more as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. See, this whole story isn't so much about the sin or the mess that the woman was in as much as it was about let's trap Jesus so that we can crucify him. Watch his response. But Jesus, there it is again. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, for centuries, scholars have debated what could Jesus have written in the dirt on the ground? One thing I've learned as you read scripture and as I read scripture, it doesn't always give us the details, only the highlights. And so God probably does that to leave it up to, you know, some of our spiritual imagination or so that we would just have faith in God. And so here we don't have the details as to what he wrote, but we do have some theories. In verse number seven, the story continues. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without, what is the word? Sin. Let any one of you in this circle who is without sin, you get to be the first one to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing right there. Now, I told you there's some theories about what Jesus was writing, and I'd like to share a few with you. The first theory as to what Jesus could have been writing in the dirt is this theory, that perhaps Jesus bent down and he began to doodle in the ground. Some scholars believe it was here that Jesus invented the Draw Something app for your smartphone. Thank you to the 11 people who understand that was a joke, and that's not biblically accurate. The second theory, though, which I find a little bit more intriguing, is that perhaps Jesus was writing out Scripture. Now, who would know Scripture better than Jesus, right? And the Bible doesn't tell us that he actually wrote Scripture, nor does it say what Scripture he could have written. But I believe, what if it was Romans 3.23? All of these people are accusing this woman, saying, hey, we've got all the dirt on her, and yet Jesus bends down and he writes, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Talk about conviction. Wow. But there's a third theory. And it's this theory that I find even more interesting. And the one that I would like to adopt as my personal belief and conviction. What if Jesus. In front of all of these accusers. In front of the very people that were attempting to condemn the woman. What if he bent down and he began to write the names of the people in the circle. Let's take it a step further. How would Jesus do this? Michael, last Tuesday, lust. <laughs> and Michael's like, what, what Michael? There's a lot of Michaels. What is that Michael, right? And then Jesus draws a line as if to make a connection with Tom's wife. Now, the Bible says Michael was up out of there, y'all. He wasn't sticking around for that. But see, Tom had a stone in his hand, and so Tom just... Tom said, hey, Michael, we, we got to have a talk. we got to have a conversation. And because he had a rock in his hand, the conversation, well, it went Tom's way. And Jesus kept writing, Tina, 1996 senior prom, East Coweta High School, Marvin Flynn, <laughs> Ford Taurus, right? 
Tina's up out of the circle. She's not, nobody is sticking around for this. And what did the Bible say? Look at verse number nine. Look at it in your word or up on the screen. It says that the older ones left. Yeah, because they had the most sin on them. They weren't sticking around for this business. They're like, I'm not waiting for him to get to my name. I am up out of here. I'm gone. See, what these people did, they accuse this woman and they say to Jesus, we've got all the dirt. We've got everything we need to kill her right here on the spot. And you know what Jesus says? You want to talk about dirt? You, you want to talk about sin? You want to talk about mistakes? Well, let's start writing. What a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus. I love this story, and I love it so much because when the woman, when she looked up at Jesus, Jesus and her, they were the only ones left. Whatever Jesus said, whatever he did in the ground, it was enough to convince the people, okay, well, I'm out of here. And they dissipated in number. Remember what he said, though. It's important. Now, anybody who's without sin, you, you get to be the first ones to throw a stone at her. And yet, when the woman looks up, who's left? Jesus. He's the only one qualified to stone her because he never committed not one sin. The only one who had every right to crucify her on the spot, if you will, was Jesus. And yet, what does he do? Well, the answer is in verse 10 as we continue to read. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? No, 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 sir. No, sir, no one. Everybody is left. And then Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and sin no more. You want to know what kind of church my heart is to pastor? It's a go church where people, they come in sinners and they go out freed where people come in sick and they go out healed where people come in bound and they go out liberated and jesus says to this woman he instructs her go go now you can leave and you can leave your life of sin the only one who had a stone to throw he decided not to throw it the only one whose hands weren't dirty the only one who had all the dirt on this woman yet he decided not to drag her through the dirt the only one who knew everything she had ever done, everything she would do, and everything she would even think about doing, and yet Jesus looks at her and he says, today, I'm not going to throw a stone at you. I'm going to throw mercy at you. Hear what I'm saying. Jesus doesn't throw stones. Jesus throws mercy. Lakeland jumped up in my lap last night, and he was kind of, trying to read and interpret my notes for today and we got on this page page number four of 39 pages and uh there's another joke and he said he said daddy he said what are you doing i said well i'm, I'm working on my message for tomorrow and he said can, can you read it to me and so you know as a good pentecostal preacher i put him on my lap and i said jesus jesus didn't throw rocks at her he threw mercy at her, son. And we started going down. I said, you know what kind of church we want to pastor? We want to pastor a go church, yada, yada. And I thought he was, you know, taking all of the sin and listening. And so finally I got to the point again. I said, now, son, what did I say? Jesus threw what at her? And he said, Jesus threw a rock at her, dad. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't throw a rock at her, son. Jesus threw mercy. And I could tell that in his, you know, four-year-old brain, he couldn't comprehend mercy. And I said, do you know what mercy is? No, sir. I said, mercy is forgiveness 
this, this Jesus, this Jesus offers this woman a brand new life of forgiveness. What nobody else ever did. He looks at her and he says to her, sweetheart, you're not used goods. You're not a tramp. Your life ain't over. Everybody makes mistakes. He looks at her and he said, do you even realize why I'm standing here in front of you? Because God knew that you would not be perfect. So here I am. And he offers her mercy. That's the second point. There is mercy in your mess. Look at me for just a moment. You've made mistakes. And so have I. I've made more mistakes than all of you combined probably. That's why I love 1201 on New Year's Day when the ball drops. Other than Kimberly kissing me, I enjoy that as well. But other than that, because it's the one moment in a new year that I've not sinned and then all of a sudden I sin. You're not perfect. And there are times when you make mistakes and you make poor choices and you make bad decisions. And yet, you're the only one that is continuously beating yourself up. See, you know what I've learned is that the enemy loves to remind you of your past, doesn't he? Oh, man, the enemy loves to regurgitate yesterday. The enemy loves to remind you of how you used to be and how you used to act and how you used to behave. And the enemy's got all of these rocks in his hands ready to stone you. But here's the good news. If Jesus doesn't throw rocks, the enemy doesn't get to throw rocks. And the next time the enemy tries to remind you of your past, you remind him that Jesus has redeemed you and he has not condemned you. To God be the glory. Jesus has redeemed you. You've made poor choices, but the good news is there is mercy in your mess. And think about all the people here today that I'm talking to that you feel so dirty. You feel so ashamed. You feel so cast aside and condemned and dejected. And yet I just told you that the God of the universe the one that created everything just by spoken word knows exactly not only where you came from, the dirt of the ground, but he knows exactly where you are. And he says, I still love you anyway. Think about all the people in this room. That as a pastor, Pastor Allen, as a senior pastor now, I'm hearing all kinds of excuses as to why people can't come to church. They are impressive to say the least. But I love this one. Well, if I came to church, lightning would strike. Well, we need a little lightning to strike. People, they have this concept of God that he's the big bad boogeyman in heaven and all he wants to do is condemn, condemn, condemn. No, no, no. All he wants to do is redeem, 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 redeem. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Is that not the scripture? For he didn't come to condemn the world but to save it. He came to save those that are in a pile of mess. And he says, I love you, and I want you to have forgiveness and mercy anyway. See, Jesus asked this woman, where are they? He might have even done it with a little smirk on his face. Where, where are they? All of your accusers, all of those trying to condemn you, 
Where are they? Now, this scripture doesn't line up in the pattern or chronological order of the scripture that we're reading, but I think it fits appropriately perfect, just like the missing piece to a puzzle, because he looks at her and he could have said the same thing he wants to say to you. If God is for you, who can be against you? If I am for you, what does it matter what the rest of the world say? I've come to give you mercy. And he's, he's saying this to those of you sitting in this room. I know that you were created from the dust of the ground. And I know that you're dusty and dirty right now. And I want you to love me. Just like I love you. And I want to change you. And I want you to be more like me. But, but this is the part you can't miss. But Jesus says, I'm not scared of the muddy mess that you call life. I came just for you. There is mercy in your mess. This uh, story also reminds me of Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Very similar story and about mercy and grace, but it's here that the prodigal son decides to go and live his own life to take his portion of the inheritance, and he's living it up until he runs out of money, and eventually he finds himself where? Hogpen, pigpen, right? He's eating the, the food that they feed the swine, and he's rolling around in the mud, and then he has this revelation, if you will, and he says, you know what? Even the hired servants in my daddy's house are living better than I am. He says, I'm going to get up from this mess, and I'm going to go to my dad. And you know what happened? Walking on the road or running towards his father's house, his daddy didn't come out and said, you know what? You smell like swine. You smell like pig. You smell like manure. In the words of Buddy the Elf, you smell like beef and cheese. Could we clean you up first? Could we clean you up first and then let's embrace? No, the father says, I love you just like you are. Yes, you stink. Yes, you've made a mess of your life. But come right in here. I will embrace you right where you are. In the middle of his mess, his father embraced him. And, and then what does his daddy say? He says, now, go take a shower. Now, let's give you some clean clothes, right? Now, let me give you some fresh oil. Now, let's grill us some steak. Anybody hungry yet? Say amen. Let's grill up some steak because we are going to... Y'all, y'all didn't know I could dance, did you? We are going to party. Let's celebrate because my son who was once dead, now he lives. The longer I become tenured as a pastor the more desire I have to preach on the topic of grace, forgiveness, and mercy. Oh, I'll preach the truth. You know me. This isn't my first time behind this pulpit. I'll preach the truth. I'll tell it like it is. But telling it like it is also includes grace and mercy and forgiveness. You've made a mess of your life, but guess what? Jesus ain't scared of your mess. There is mercy in your mess. You got time for one more? Good. John chapter 8 is where we were. If you go one chapter over, you come to John chapter 9. It's impressive, right? Y'all didn't know what I was learning in Maryland, but I learned how to add. John 8 to John 9. In John chapter 9, we come across a story that will literally mess some of you up theologically. See, some of you in this room, you've always had this preconceived idea or notion that when Jesus performed his miracles, he always did it with tradition and in a certain order or fashion. But in John chapter 9, if you believe that way, it's going to mess you up big time. In verse number 1 of John 9, the Bible says, as he passed by, meaning Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned? 
Did this man sin or was it the sin of his parents that caused him to be born blind? What are these guys asking him? They're asking Jesus, Jesus, who made this mess? Whose fault is it for the mess that this man is in? Don't we do that so often? We point fingers. Well, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. It's my fault, whatever. And the Bible continues. Jesus answered. I love his answers. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What Jesus is saying, look, guys, I'm not interested in figuring out who made this mess. I'm interested in the miracle that's about to happen. Verse number four. He says, we must do the works of him who sent me while it's day, for night is coming. And at night, no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You got to put yourself in the story. Imagine if you're this blind man. The Bible, again, teaches us that he was totally and completely blind and able to see you from the time that he entered this world. But the Bible didn't say that he was deaf. It said that he was blind. And so although he couldn't see and he could not see, he never saw the sun rising in all of its glory and splendor. He never got to see the faces connected to the voices of the people that he loved on a daily basis. He never got to see the people that would help him and assist him to set him strategically so that he could beg as a panhandler so that he could make money probably to spend it on whatever primitive medicine was created in that day. He never got to see those people. He never got to see the faces connected to the voices of the people that would always talk about him. He couldn't see, but he could hear. And you know what he could hear? He could hear two things. Number one, he had heard about Jesus. Not only had he heard about Jesus, but he heard about the ministry and the healing power which Jesus possessed, right? But he also could hear the naysayers that were connected to his life. And some of them would say, why, why are you this way? What's wrong with him? Why is his life so messed up? And imagine if you're him. You're hearing all of this. And then you also hear Jesus talking about how it's not, it's light and it's day. And I've got to do the works of my father. And we've got to do it before it becomes night because then nobody can work. And this guy has an expectation because he can hear. And I'm confident that he had heard about what had happened in the book of Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 56 with blind Bartimaeus. Remember, Jesus came up on the scene and Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus... Son of David, have mercy on me. And the miracle uh, ministry of Jesus reached out, touched the eyes of Bartimaeus, and bam, his sight was restored. So now this man in John chapter 9 has an expectation because of what he heard through the ministry of Jesus. And I'm sure that this man is thinking, okay, surely he's just going to touch my eyes and I'm going to be able to see. Surely he'll just do the spoken word, thou art healed, and boom, my eyesight will be restored. Or, or perhaps he even thought, maybe God will just send down angels to sing over my life. Hallelujah. Right? And then boom. I'll be able to see. He has this expectation. But watch what happens in verse number six. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. This man is expecting to hear Jesus Christ speak over his life or touch his eyes or open up heaven and the next thing that this man hears is I'm not creative enough to make this stuff up I often wonder 
How did Jesus even decide to perform this miracle in that manner? You know, Pastor Jeff, where the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, you know, this healing thing is going really well. But you know what would be really cool? <laughs> Could you maybe, I don't know, spit in your hand? The next thing that this blind man hears is Jesus hawking a loogie. And we don't look at it from that perspective, do we? The next thing he hears, see, now the situation has gone from bad to worse. It, think about your life. Before, you couldn't see, but at least you didn't have mud in your eyes. Before, it was bad, but at least there wasn't mud in your eyes. And then, and then watch this instruction that Jesus gives to him, which ultimately produces the miracle that this man experiences. Verse number seven. And Jesus said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so the blind man went and he washed and he, would you read these last three words with me? One, two, three, came back seeing. And he came back seeing. It, it leaves me with the question that we must discuss. If the miracle took place because of the obedience of the blind man to wash himself in the pool of Siloam, then why the mud? Why the mud? Why the mess? If the miracle happened after he washed in the river, why the mud? Would you look at somebody and ask them that question, why the mud? Nelson, you can come and bring my props. And Pastor Chad, you can come and play as I close this thing. Why? The mud. That there's symbolism here all throughout scripture. And if we're not careful, we overlook it and we miss it entirely. And I just want to, I want to give you one illustration, one lesson. I'll pray for you and then you can uh, head on down to fried tomato buffet, which hopefully will be there too. There's symbolism here that we find all throughout the Bible. See, anytime you look in scripture, you will always find that dirt is connected with humanity. What do I mean? I, I shared it with you, but now I'm just kind of reeling it in. In Genesis 2, we see that dirt is uh, connected to humanity by way of creation. That you and I were formed from the dust of the earth. In Psalm 103, we see that dirt is connected to humanity by way of vulnerability and weaknesses. In John chapter 8, we saw that dirt was connected when Jesus drew on the ground. That dirt was connected to our humanity by way of shame and guilt and our past life. You follow me? So dirt is always representing our humanity. But there's another element in scripture that you can't miss. Why, why the mud? Dirt represents humanity. But water always represents the Spirit of God. Water will always in scripture represent the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is doing, Jesus in this story and what he wants to do this morning, he takes the dirt, the common, the mistakes, humanity, and he adds to it the divine, the power, his spirit. And what God says to you this morning, please, please don't miss this. If you've tuned me out or fallen asleep, I feel like I do back home in Maryland. But listen to me. Don't miss this part. Nudge your neighbor. Wake them up. Here it is, okay? Jesus says, I want you to bring me all your dirt. I already know 
I want you to bring to me everything in 2013 and before that has to do with insecurity and guilt and shame and regret and second guesses and doubts and fears. I want you to bring all of your dirt, all of your weaknesses, all of your vulnerabilities, all of your proclivities, everything that you've ever done. I want you to bring all of your inadequacies. I want you to bring it to me. Why the mud? Bring me your dirt. And then here's what he says. And let me just add water. Let me just add some water. Let me just add. You know what he's saying? I want to pour in my spirit. You want to be all in? Then let me get all in you. I want to pour in my spirit. I want to pour in my power. I want to pour in my grace. I want to pour in my mercy. I want to pour in my forgiveness. I want to pour it in. And then Jesus says this, and I'm going back to something I said earlier. And then he says, now let me stir this up. See, what we hope will happen is that God will provide a miracle and it won't hurt a little. But to the natural, anytime that Jesus performs a miracle, things have to get messier before they ever get better. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? You ought to write that down because there's coming a moment in this year where things will get messier. But when you let God pour in his Holy Spirit, when you just add some water to the situation, he says this, I'll stir it up. And then he looks at you and he says, and I'll make a mud pie if I have to and smear it all over your face to prove to you that there is a miracle in your mess. A miracle in your mess. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. You know what I'm learning? I'm learning to say this. Spit on my face, Jesus, if you have to. What else can I do? Tell me to dip in the river. I'll do it. I'll be like Naaman if you tell me to do it. Because I know, although it may not make sense to my mind, I know that if you tell me to do it, you are always faithful to keep your promises. Because all of your promises are both yes and amen. Amen. Bring your dirt. Bring your shame. Bring your guilt. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus says this. The greatest miracle ever happened, in my opinion, is the miracle of salvation. And Jesus says, you are dirty and you are disgusting. This is your life. Your life is a mess. You think you're here by accident? You think you're here by happenstance? No. Before you were even conceived, God had this day on the calendar, the first Sunday of 2014, for you to come in here with all your baggage because he wants to remind you, you know what? You've messed up and I'm going to forgive you. And you know what? Tomorrow, you're going to be dirt and I'm going to forgive you. That's how his mercy and his grace works. The greatest gift of all is salvation. And he, this is what he says. He says, this is your life. But if you just add water, I'll make you white as snow. I'll make you white as snow. Would you stand with me this morning? What the world calls failure. 
And the world has called some of you a failure. I don't know if I ever told this to you, but I told my students often. My senior year of high school, class president, homecoming king, played football on the varsity team. And my senior class, they voted me most likely not to succeed. Yeah, you laugh. It hurt. What the world calls failure, God calls fertilizer. Yep. All those people, they saw the dirty, dusty JC, the mess of my life that I had made by the time I was 18 years old, following the same habitual cycle of addiction and sin, just like my family. But God stepped in and he said, you know what? I see your failure, but I'm going to use it as fertilizer. I'm not the richest in my graduating class of 1999, but I can promise you this. I'm all that God is calling me to be. And every day when I mess up, he reminds me, JC, you're not perfect, but I am. Wash and be clean. See, what happens is, is God will say, if you'll let me, I will pour into your natural, my supernatural. See, what you are without Christ is common. But what you are with Christ in you is uncommon. And when you allow God to just add water, everything changes. There is mercy. There is a miracle. And there's a meaning in your mess. Can I give you a challenge? Why not? Why not let God take all of the hopeless, all of the helpless, all of the dark and dirty and dusty and beyond repair and messy areas of your life why not give it to him and just let him add water just let him add water hear me what the devil meant for evil in 2013 when you add water god will make good in 2014 that's his word that's his word why not give it all to him and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this any longer. In closing, in John chapter 9, we see that Jesus uses the mud as symbolism. And, and I wanted to share one final thought with you. You may, you may know this, but just kind of indulge me for a moment. Your spit is made up of 99.9% .9 water. The other 0.5% of your spit is just enzymes that are used to break down the food that you eat. My 5% of enzymes aren't working as well. That's why I've lost 47 pounds. Just kidding. It's interesting because what we just learned is that in the Bible, water always represents what? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. And maybe, maybe the mud had to be used for this reason. See, saliva contains our entire genetic blueprint. It's the purest form of DNA. And this man, in John chapter 9, the Bible says that he was born blind. What does that mean? He was born missing something. There was something in his genetic makeup, something in his DNA that was missing that caused him to be born blind. And so Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the triune God, you with me? Mixes his saliva, his DNA, with the dirt of the ground, the dust of the earth, where man came from. So whatever this man was missing in his DNA, Jesus touched it with his DNA, and that's good news. You know why it's good news? Oh my God, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's good news because not only can God restore something that you've lost, but he can give you something you've never even had.
God can restore all of the things you've lost in this mess of a life. But when you let him add water, he can give you something you've never even tasted before. He is a merciful God who loves you unconditionally. This isn't in my notes, but hear me. What can separate you from the love of God? You, you think your poor decisions? Man, if that's the case, then we're all hopeless. Oh, but thank you, Jesus, for his blood. There is power. There is power. Wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Stephen Furtick, the pastor in North Carolina, he says he's going to rewrite the song. There is mercy. There is mercy. There is mercy in the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Would you lift your hands in this room if you're in need of a miracle in your life? I want our prayer team, our altar team to come. We've got just a few more minutes here, and I want to give you an opportunity. I'd like this praise team to come, and I'd like you to sing that song that you sang earlier. But I want to give you an opportunity. This is your moment. I'm not going to drag this out any longer. I, I'm, I've preached long enough. I'm long-winded as it is anyway, so I'll stop now. But I'm going to give you an opportunity. Well, I don't want to get out of my seat because people might, listen, spit on me, Lord. If all God tells you to do is get out of your seat and respond, then we've got the easy part. We've got the easy part. But if you're ready to find the meaning in your mess, if you're ready to experience the mercy in your mess, and you're ready for the miracle on the count of three, as they sing, you come out of your seat and you find a prayer partner and you let God, you let the Holy Spirit just add water. One, two, three. From the front to the back, from the left to the right. Come now. Every hand lifted. It's not about who's coming. It's about you. They're coming. Come on. You begin to pray and intercede. You need to find meaning. You need to find mercy. You need a miracle. You come now. Come on. Satama Baba Sunday. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh, tell me what can I do? My marriage is in a mess. You come. Bring your whole family. My finances are in a mess. You come. Lay your checkbook at the altar. Pray over it and ask God to work a miracle out. My health is a mess. You come. Watch the miracle power of God move in your life. Just add water. Just add water. Come on. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit smmcog.com.